Ready, Stephen? All right, the book of Ezekiel, or as my southern friends call it, Ezekiel. All right? And uh, if you got your handy-dandy handout, there are some on every table. I'm going to try not to use this thing. Uh, but um, 48 chapters. It's a long book. I endeavor to try to finish it tonight. Good luck. Amen. We don't need luck. All right. Uh, 1,273 verses, 39,401 words. That's a mouthful. Uh, the author is Ezekiel. If you look at verse number three, he was a priest. Um, he was carried into captivity at the age of 25. Josh, how old are you, Josh? 26? Yep. Josh, 26. So right around Josh's age, those of how old are you now, Aaron? 22, all right, so closer to Josh. So imagine Josh getting carried into captivity, all right? Don't think about it too long, all right? Uh, that 11 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, he's carried into captivity. He's taken during the second siege of Jerusalem. Remember, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the force of Babylon, they came in 606, 597, and like 586. So they came in those three waves. Uh, the second wave was when they uh, carried away Ezekiel. Um, the first wave was when Daniel was taken into Babylon, approximately 606. So Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah and Daniel, though he's uh, further away. Uh, Ezekiel 8.1 says, you don't have to turn there, it says Ezekiel lived in his own house. So he had his own house, so he wasn't like in prison. Uh, you read chapter 24 and you find out that Ezekiel's wife died the year the final attack on Jerusalem took place. There's a lot of interesting symbolism there. And Ezekiel 1.1, it says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So he begins his ministry five years after reaching Babylon. So let's do some math, children. He's carried into Babylon at 25. He starts preaching at five years later. He was? 30. Very good, son. Right? Who says homeschooling doesn't work? He's 30 years old, right? So he is 30 years old. He's starting his ministry the same age that Jesus Christ starts his ministry. Interesting. They're both called the Son of Man. Um, and um, he's near the end of Jeremiah's career. So remembering each of these great prophets, the great prophets are considered Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They wrote the most. That's why they're so great. They each point to a different part or person, I should say, person, in the Godhead, Isaiah points to God the Son, Jeremiah points to God the Father, and Ezekiel points to God the Spirit. Ezekiel is the prophet of the Spirit. There are at least 25 references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Ezekiel. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, and the Spirit entered into me. Right? There it is. Right? Look at chapter 3, verse 12. 3, 12. Then the Spirit took me up, right? Look at chapter 3, verse uh, 14. So the Spirit lifted me up. So he's being moved by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 24. Then the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house. Now, why is it interesting that there's so much about the Holy Spirit? I told you in my prayer that Ezekiel's name means whom God strengthens or the strength of God. Now, isn't that interesting? Because how does the Lord strengthen His servants but by His Holy Spirit? Amen. So the one whose name means whom God strengthens 
is the one that speaks the most about the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Mel used to say that 75% of the churches, if the Holy Spirit left, the machinery would just keep right on going. Like we need, I need, I'll speak for myself, I need God's Holy Spirit to help me do anything, especially something for God and in the name of God. So some key messages in the book. Number one, uh, actually the message is the goodness and severity of God. We'll talk about that at the end, but the goodness and severity of God. Some key phrases, right? Um, I think I wrote this on your sheet, so I won't write them on the board. One key phrase is son of man. Son of man appears 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. More than any other book of the Bible. Nobody else says the phrase son of man like Ezekiel. Son of man was a favorite title of another person in your Bible. Jesus Christ loved to call himself the son of man. So for this reason, Jesus Christ is pictured as the son of man in the book of Ezekiel. And then finally, the key phrase, which we're really going to talk a lot about. The key phrase is the glory of the Lord or the glory of God. We'll talk about that a lot a little bit later. And you see on your sheet there a breakdown. Chapters 1 to 3 is really the preparation and the call of the prophet. That's where we see the appearance of the glory. Uh, Chapters 4 to 24 is the prophecies of destruction of Jerusalem. That's the departure of the glory. Uh, Chapters 25 to 32, the surrounding nations and God's glory. Those are prophecies against seven nations that God judges. And then finally, the return of the glory, which is some glorious prophecies of Israel's future in the days to come. So let's go to chapter 20 and let's... um, Let's just jump in on some key truths here and some big pictures, all right? Let's look at Ezekiel 20, and let's just look at verses uh, 1 to 9. Here's a big idea, or a, not a big idea, but a, a, a big a truth. Ezekiel speaks of Israel in Egypt more than any prophet. Isaiah talks about it some, Jeremiah talks about it some, but Ezekiel actually tells you that when Israel was in Egypt before the Exodus, what God was thinking of them. You don't get any of that light, but in Ezekiel. I'll show you. Chapter 20. And it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are ye come out to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Wilt thou judge them, son of man? Wilt thou judge them? Cause them to know the abominations of their fathers. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, So he's not talking about present day, He's talking about hundreds of years earlier, right? When they were still in bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh. And lifted up mine hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up mine hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God, in the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. You see where we are now? You got got the time period? We are at Moses' time. Look what it says. Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me, and would not hearken unto me. They did cast cast away 
the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that they should not be polluted before the heathen, before whom, uh, among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them, in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. Verse number 7. This is the only book we learn of Israel's idolatry in Egypt. We think they were just sitting there in bondage going, oh God, get me out of here. No, it says they were worshiping the gods of Egypt with them, right? That culture was influencing them. Look at verse number eight. This book shows you that God was thinking about destroying them before delivering them. You don't get that light anywhere else in the Bible. Ezekiel is given light on what was happening in the past. Verse number nine, but God doesn't do it. What a blessing that God spares His people for His namesake. Hallelujah. Amen? I mean, because you don't realize how much of you stink of the world. Right? You don't realize how much the world is just like, you think, oh God, get me out of here. I can't wait to the rapture. I can't wait to the rapture. And I can't wait to the rapture. I'll be honest with you. But God's like, I'm trying to maybe hold out so you can kind of clean up your act a little bit so you can get some more rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, maybe take some other people with you because you don't realize how much you stink of the world. And as much of Israel saying, oh God, the cry coming up to him and get us out of here and deliver us from Pharaoh and yada, yada, yada. I just yada, yada the whole book of Exodus. Right? But you know what? They stunk like Egypt. They were worshiping Ra. They were worshiping this. They were doing all that stuff. And God's like, I should whack you. But he delivered them. That's a merciful, merciful God that even though you stink like the world, one day he's just going to get you out of here and pull you up to that river up there and he's going to wash you forever and you won't stink like the world ever again. Chapter 28, that's a big, that's a big piece of light. All right? Chapter 28. Here's another interesting piece of light that I know you're waiting for me to tell you what the wheels within the wheels are. I'll touch on it, and I'll just tell you I don't know. But uh, 28, we're going to read through 11 to 19. Ezekiel is also the only book that gives us such a great glimpse into Satan's past. Where do you go to find out about Satan's past? You get a smattering of it in Isaiah. You could see some things maybe about it in Job. But you want to get a nice chunk of text, Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19 is the past of Satan, the fall of Lucifer, and what he was like. Uh, 11, right? Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Please notice, in ver- and let's go to verse, tw- uh, verse 12 I read already. Verse 12, the Lord addresses the king of Tyrus, but he's really talking to Satan. He does this throughout the Bible, right? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, he talks to the king of Babylon, but he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Right? The devil is moving through men. He's moving through men. He's the God of this world, and he's moving through the kings of the earth, and God addresses the Satan in those people, kind of like he spoke to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Right? So, please notice that Tyrus was a celebrated port city. It was a commercial city. It was a cosmopolitan city. There was a lot of merchandise. See, verse number 16 talks about merchandise. There was a lot of merchandise going on in that city. A lot of buying and selling, a lot of trade and transport. Question, who's the God of this world? 
behind all the buying and selling that goes on. You ever think about that? Who's behind all the buying and the selling and the commerce and the trade and all the merchandising of things? You read in the book of Revelation chapter 18 about that great city that's the Antichrist city and they're selling this and they're selling that and they're making merchandise of this and they're making merchandise of that and the last thing they're making merchandise of are the souls of men, right? That's what the devil's in, right? You think, you, know, you think when Christmas time comes around, that's not all by design to get you sucked into that commercialism and that, you know, and it just goes beyond that, right? Well, you just, man, there's some, there's some buying and selling going on in black markets in the world that would make your head spin. Things that are being bought and sold. And it goes even down to the souls of men where the very souls of people might be getting to the place where people are bartering for them. Not to get you spooked out, but God's giving you a glimpse, man. He's, he's the one that traffics in all that stuff, right? All right, I don't got that. 13, thou hast been in Eden. That was not the king of Tyrus, right? The garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Please notice that Satan was a beautiful creature when the Lord made him. Beautiful. Verse number 13 says... He was covered in precious stones. You know who else was covered in precious stones? The high priest's breastplate. So when that high priest walked into the holiest of all, you know what God saw? God saw something on him that reminded him of Satan. You think about that. He's going to go in there and he's going to atone for the nation. And when that presence of God saw him, he realized that that atonement, you know what it traced itself all the way back to? Split foot. You think about that. He was covered in precious stones, became this fallen villain we call Satan. But God put precious stones, which were the the tribes of the children of Israel, on the high priest's breastplate. And when he went in there to bring that blood once a year on the Day of Atonement, God saw those stones. What do you think God was reminded of? An anointed cherub that covered. That was the one that just got this whole mess started. You think about that. That's what that whole sacrifice is trying to allay until the Jesus Christ came and put an end to those sacrifices but that's what it was trying to allay and appease the wrath of you think about that it says he was he had musical instruments built into his body pipes and tabrets why do we make such a big deal about music why are we so careful about music you're a fool to just think music is just this idle noise that people listen to the devil is a musician Man, you never read the poem, The Pied Piper of Hamlin? Who just, you know, just had all the rats following right off the cliff? Man, the devil just lead people right off a cliff with music. Get people to do crazy things with music. Change your emotions, change your mentality, change your, just change the way you'd respond. They played music at plants in an experiment many years ago. They played like that heavy rock. You know what it did? It killed the plants. They played soft classical music. The plants grew. And you stick those earbuds in your ears and you blast the crap. That's the words I'll say. You blast the crap that you listen to. And you know what it's doing? If it's going to kill a plant, you don't think it's hurting you somewhere on the inside? 
right? Somebody screaming about, you know, busting a cap or doing this or whatever they're talking about. I don't want to say anything else. All right, but that stuff, you think it just goes in your ears. I just like the beat. I just like the sound. Why do you got to be like that? Because it, it affects your spirit. Right? And I say it because I love you. You might get angry at me because you know what you can't insult? I can insult some kid's mama before I can insult their music. Why is that? I insult a kid's music. They'll be ready to throw hands. But I can insult their mother. I can call them ugly. I can call them this. But I touch on their music. That's a, that's a sacred cow for some people. Even some of you now are getting upset. Maybe somebody at home, hi, are getting upset. Like, get off this, Pat. Move off. I'm not going to move off this point just yet. Because even in the churches, it looks like a God-forsaken. I mean, if we could, in most churches... If we could peel back the film and see what's going on in the spiritual, that whole stinking worship service is probably crawling with devils. And people are rocking and rolling and writhing and bumping and grinding. And you think the Holy Spirit told you to shake your moneymaker like that? You think the Holy Spirit told you to do that? The Holy Spirit had you rolling around and foaming and rocking and like, like you were at a glorified rock concert and somebody just took the words Jesus out. They took, you know, if I took the word Jesus out and put yo baby, yo baby in there, you wouldn't be any different, right? It's just, we got to sober up, people. I know we're the minority of the minority. I know we're like the fringe of the fringe. I know it's like, this is not going to fill the library or fill the auditorium on Sunday. But we have a responsibility to tell the truth, and as long as God gives us grace, we're not going to throw away the old hymns. No matter how bored you get of them, you just need to repent. And once you repent, you'll enjoy washed in the blood. You'll enjoy amazing grace. You'll enjoy and can it be because there's a different spirit to those songs. I'm not saying that every song has to be written 400 years ago. There's some good writers today that are writing things that are sound and doctrinal and worth listening to. But that worldly stuff, man, you might as well just flush it, right? Now, I can't tell you that. You know what has to tell you that? The Holy Spirit has to tell you that. Because I remember the day when I was a newly saved Christian, and those of us that are a little older might remember Napster. Remember that, Napster? Remember Napster? Right? And you had all your pirated music on Napster. And I was newly saved, and I'd come home from church, and I'd go on my computer, and I'd send emails to my friends to try to witness them. And you know what i do? I'd turn on my playlist. And I remember Pastor Mike was preaching on whatsoever ye do. Do it heartily, as to the Lord, not unto men. And I just sat there, and I'm typing away, and my music's going. I'm not going to tell you what it was. I forgot, thank God. And the Holy Spirit, as sure as a breeze across your face on a summer day, said, you should probably dump that music. And I was like, whatsoever you do. I was like, oh, man. And I had a decision to make. I said, I could obey God. Nobody's looking. I could obey God for once in my life and, and get his blessing. Or I could just, that's not really. I'm just, you know, all the stuff we tell ourselves. You know, I, that's extreme. That's fanatical. I, I, you know, I, God wants me to have a little fun. God just wants me to enjoy my life. Blah, 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 blah. Right, all that stuff. And I just, I, just, I just bit the bullet and I just, I remember highlighting the whole list, deleted the whole thing, and just deleted the software and uh, I'm happy I did. So, now I'll get off that soapbox. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. That's not down here, that's up there. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He had some kind of authority, this, this, this Satan. 
this Lucifer. Isaiah 14 says he had a throne. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. It says that he was anointed. That means he was specially chosen. It says he covered. A covering is connected to authority in the Bible. Haven't you read in 1 Corinthians 11 where the Bible calls a man a woman's covering and a woman's hair her covering, right? And that we ought to be careful about that covering because of the angels, right, who abandoned their covering. That's another message for another day. But here's the question. I don't know the full answer of it, but did Lucifer cover the throne? That's how it's taught by a lot of people. It could be that, that there was four cherubs, one here, one here, one here, one here, and he was the anointed cherub that covereth, and he literally covered the throne. Or it could be that Satan might have covered the earth, that maybe he had some kind of authority over the earth. I mean, I'm not saying definitively what the answer is. Um, It seems that he was up there upon that holy mountain, right, and he was cast out of there. But it seems like Satan had some kind of a throne in Jerusalem. Why is he after it so badly? Why is he after I mean, Jerusalem. Eli's been there. Some of you have been there. Somebody wrote a book called The Deadly Piece of Dirt. What is it? It's dirt. It's desert. It's not like beautiful. It's not like, you know, you and I, as Gentiles, can find some lot more beautiful places than Jerusalem. I mean, you know, mountain ranges, and I'm Italian, I'm a Ginzo, so you, you send me down to Venice or Florence like that, you know, Firenze, I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, you know this, is, this is what I like, you know, this is beautiful, or, or take me to a beach, you know, take me back to Hilton Head and just let me sit there for a little while, uh, you know, but dirt, God says it's going to blossom like a rose one day and be beautiful, but God says that's important, and Satan is after it. There's more wars and more bloodshed. Eli knows some of you follow it. There's stuff that's going on today in that area. Why are they fighting over a piece of dirt that's not as big as Texas? What is going on? Because the devil wants something there. It seems like maybe he had something there. And he knows Jesus Christ is going to get something there. Very interesting. Verse 15 to 19. Thou was perfect. I'm not going to... I want to... I'm going to... I'm going to break this down, but here's what I want you to see as we finish talking about Satan. And after I finish, the camera's going to explode. I'm going to fall over. The, thing's going to, the lights are going to flicker. But um, we were at the parade, right? We're at the parade. We're lining up on the parade. You think spiritual warfare is not real? We're right behind the fire trucks. All of a sudden, when they're getting ready to start their parade, we got to get out of here. We got to fire. All the fire trucks had to get out of there. Then I'm getting ready to go up there. I'm shaking like a leaf. I got to go up there in front of the whole town and give my little invocation. I'm still not sure what an invocation is. Uh, I keep looking it up, but it doesn't help me with the definition. But uh, right before, they just did the, they just played taps, and this huge limb falls off a tree. <laughs> I'm thinking they were going to play a 21-gun salute, and it's a tree limb falling down. The whole, the whole crowd goes, <gasps> I'm thinking I got to follow the tree limb falling down. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, <laughs> and down will come Patrick. Cradle. So here's what I want you to see in 25, uh, 28 verses 15 to 19. Sin destroyed Satan, and sin will destroy you too. There are no exceptions to that rule. Let's break it down. Verse 15. Verse 15, it says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. 
till iniquity was found in thee. Please notice Lucifer was perfect. He was complete. He had everything he needed. Till sin spoiled him. And brethren, you're good with God. You know what sin's going to do? It's just going to spoil what God's trying to mature and perfect in you. You're okay, man. You got the Holy Spirit. You got all God wants you to have. You just got to work it out, build it out, you know, mature. But God says, you're good with me, man. That's all you need. You know, sin spoils Satan. Sin will spoil you. Amen. you don't, some of you don't believe me, but it will. A little leaven, the leaven, the whole lump. 2816. 2816. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. You know what Lucifer lost? He lost his access to the third heaven. He says, you were up there, man. You know, there's a, there's a temple up there. And he was up there, he could walk up and down up there, he could get right there around God, right there by the stones of fire, the, the mountain of God up there, he could be right there. God said, I'm going to throw you down to the ground. The access that he had, the privilege that he had, the, the, probably the relationship that he he reflected the light of God. Lucifer, light bearer. Whose light? Not a Bud Light, right? It was God's light. He stood there and actually bore the image of God and reflected the light of God out of his body. That's what those stones were for. And they looked at Lucifer and they said, wow. And they thought, Lucifer thought, wow, they're looking at me. But really they were looking at the light of God. Just reflect. That's what they see in you folks. Wow, you're some nice guy. It's not me. It's God's light shining through me. Don't make the same mistake as old Splitfoot. You might suffer the same fate. You might lose the access. I mean, you'll never lose the privilege and the standing, but you might lose something God might have for you. Verse 17, the beginning of the verse. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Please notice that Lucifer lost his beauty, and you will lose your beauty. All right, teenagers? You mess around with certain things. You know what the devil will do. You know what the flesh will do. It'll just take that beauty. You, know, you see some of the kids running around, you know, Zoe and Michaela and, you know, Jamesy and, you know, uh, you know Santi and I'm going to miss names, you know, Emmy. And you see all these little kids running around. You know, that, that is as pure as the driven snow. Amen. You know what the world is trying to do overtime? Just steal that purity. Amen. Just take it. And you see somebody like somebody 50 years old that looks like they're 90 just because sin has just worn them down and worn them out. But you could look at somebody saved that might be 102, like a Grandma Hutter, a lady we know, and still has the, probably up until recently when she was more alert, has the smile of God on her face. 102 years old! Still has the joy of the Lord. Right? Because Lucifer lost his beauty. He was beautiful! He lost it. He lost it. He was corrupted. 17. Keep reading. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore I will, bring, will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. 
All they that know thee, because they know him, the kings of this earth know who he is. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. In those verses, we see Lucifer lost his honor. He lost his glory. He lost all that prestige. He lost all that, all that awe, all that shock, all that trembling. He lost it all. Where in Isaiah it says, they look at him and say, Art thou become weak as we? Are you down here with the worms with us? Yes, he is. And he says, right, verse 17, it says, He was high and lifted up, right? But he's cast to the ground for kings to behold. How much high? I mean, the only high, the only other spot beyond Lucifer was God. Amen. That's how high he was. That's how high up the ladder he was. And he's cast down to the ground. He's going to eat dirt. And he's going to cast down to the pit, to the lake of fire after that. I mean, that's unbelievable. Right? It's, think about that. So high, so low. Christian, don't follow those footsteps. You are the aristocracy of heaven. You are a joint heir with Christ. You are seated with Him in heavenly places already up there. Don't let the devil and the world and the flesh dull the shine of your title. Don't lose what God has wrought for you. No matter how alluring it is, no matter how much salt and sugar the devil sprinkles on that cupcake. Sugar, salt on a cupcake. Well, sugar on a cupcake, right? No matter how much, how tempting he he makes it seem, don't don't dull the shine on your title. Verse 18 says, he's going to be burned by his own devilment. You're doing all this stuff, buddy, and uh, I'm going to bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. You know? You know, that reminds me, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You set some fires in your life, guess what? You're going to be the one that gets burned. You burn some bridges in your life. You burn some bridges at church. You burn some bridges with the brethren. Guess what? You're going to be the one that gets burned. God's not going to get burned. You're going to get burned. Lucifer did some devilment. God says, I'm going to bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. You're going to get burned. It's going to burn you, Satan. Right? 19. Satan's going to become a gazing stock. They're going to look at him in astonishment and say, you were the guy? You were the guy. We trembled at you, right? Remember Wizard of Oz when they pulled back the curtain? <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You know what they said? This, this is it? That's what, that's what they're going to say when they see him rolling around with the worms like they are. Amen? Amen? What a tragedy that any child of God would follow Satan's steps. Let's just make up our minds right now. Just covenant with your Lord right now in yourself. I do not want to go that route. I don't want to follow those steps. I don't want to face that fate. I don't want to bear that shame. You're no longer a child of the devil. You're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Why would you follow like your former father? You were of your father the devil. You're not anymore. God is your father. So just make up your mind tonight. Right now, sit here right now say, Lord... I don't want to quit on you. I don't want to bring you any shame or dishonor for all you did hanging naked on that cross for me. I want to go to the very end, Lord. I don't want to bear your sh- I don't want to I don't want to bring any shame to your name. Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48. Now, Ezekiel 40 to 48 gives us a very detailed look at the coming millennium. We talk about in Bible study first mention, final mention, Full mention. You want to see how God defines a word? Look at the first time it's mentioned. 
You want to see maybe the last time God used a word? Last mention. You want to see the full treatise of a subject? You find the full mention. For example, you want to find out what God says about giving? It's all over the Bible, but you go to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Those are two chapters on giving, right? Giving to the Lord. That's full mention. Well, here we have 40 to 48 is a full mention of the coming millennium. Chapters 40 to 42 is the only book in the Bible that gives the full details of the temple that's yet to be built. Amen? He's talking about dimensions and measurements. If you just, if you let your eye scan 40 to 42, I'm going to be honest with you, it's some boring reading. Amen? Amen? I mean, you get to Ezekiel 40, it's just like, buckle up, because you're in for a slow ride. I don't know why you could take the buckle off, I guess, and just kind of like put your head out the window and try to gasp for air because it's like, and I measured this and I saw that and I saw this and the, the threshold was shaking, but um, that's the only book. 47, go to 47. 47, verse number one, it's also the only book that talks about the healing waters of that river in the millennium. Where else do you find that being talked about? Right? Revelation talks about the trees and the healing of that, those foods. But Ezekiel 47 one says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out. Notice where they come from. From under the threshold of the house eastward. Notice that's the direction. Uh, from the, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Verse 8. And then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed, and it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. Amen. And everything shall live whither the river cometh. Notice in verse 1, the healing waters come from the house of God. You see that? That's where Jesus is sitting. That's where Jesus is reigning. And that's where the healing waters proceed from. What's the application? Healing always comes from the king sitting on his throne. That's where you always get healed. I don't always mean physical healing. I mean all kinds of healing. Healing relationships, healing habits, healing that you need in your life. It comes from the king sitting on a throne. Amen. doesn't come from me. doesn't come from a book that you read in the bookstore. Uh, it comes from a king who issues forth these living waters that heal everything they touch. You see these living waters? They heal everything they touch. God said, you get saved and I'll put in you the Holy Spirit. It'll be like a fountain of living water springing up unto everlasting life, right? So, praise the Lord. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 16. Find two verses. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. And on your sheet, those of you that might be disappointed that I'm not touching on everything, on your sheet, I do break down what every chapter is about. Um... At least 37 is a big chapter. The restoration of Israel gets in there. Um, but uh, Exodus chapter 16, I want to talk about a big idea from the book of Ezekiel. All right? And here it is. Exodus 16 is where I want to be. All right. Here's the big idea. 
right? The glory of the Lord is gone, but it will return. That's the big idea. The glory of the Lord is gone, but the glory of the Lord will return. That's a big, big thought in Ezekiel. Now, in the Old Testament, we say, what's the glory of the Lord? In the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord was the visible, think about this now, folks, the visible light between the cherubim. I don't know what it looked like, but that high priest walked into the holiest of all, and there was a presence between those cherubim above the mercy seat. And um, if you look in Exodus 16.10, here is the first mention. In fact, uh, the first mention. It says, And it came to pass as Aaron, am I in the right spot? As Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. You know why? That cloud had to cover it because you can't look upon the glory of the Lord in the body you got right now. If you saw the glory of the Lord fully manifested right now, it would melt the skin off your bones like 10 nuclear bombs going off within 10 feet of your body. You catch my drift? Right? We're talking about the one that outshines the sun, who the ones that knew him fell on their face. So he appeared in a cloud, and they saw that brightness by day, right? Um, and they saw him, right? Now, go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel 1. 28. And here he is getting his vision, Ezekiel. And it says, let's go back up to verse number 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man. That's your Savior above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber as the appearance of fire, appearance uh, uh, roundabout within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and it had brightness roundabout, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of the brightness roundabout. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Please notice here that the glory of the Lord appears again in a cloud, because Ezekiel can't look upon it. Just like Aaron couldn't look upon it. Just like Moses couldn't look upon it. Just like you can't look upon it. It's the glory of the Lord. It's the glory of God. It outshines the sun. Here it is again, kind of shrouded in a cloud. And please notice that there's this rainbow talked about around the throne that he sees. Please notice, in, in fact, the bow, if you want a little tidbit, uh, the bow is talked about four times in your Bible. The rainbow, talked about four times. Three in Genesis, once in Ezekiel. Um, the first bow... Not your boyfriend. But the first bow, B-O-W, the first bow in the cloud came after the flood, Genesis chapter 9. You know what that's a picture of? Somebody coming out of the great tribulation, flood, and a kingdom being established, 
a rainbow, which is connected to a throne, Ezekiel 1. That's why in Genesis 9, after the flood, there's a bow in the cloud because it's connected to God's throne because he's setting up a kingdom after the tribulation. And then in Ezekiel 1, 28, here's the last bow in the cloud. It's Christ's throne coming down after that great tribulation. Right? So it all connects. Now, in the New Testament, the glory of the Lord is said to be Jesus Christ. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 says he is the express image of his person. Right? He, is, he is God's glory. Um, now let's go to chapter 10. Ready, Stephen? Chapter 10. Now here's what's happening. This whole thing going on in Ezekiel 1 Ezekiel 10, it's not spaceships. It's not the chariot of the gods, right? The wheels and the wheels. It has to do with God's throne moving like a chariot. It has to do with the second advent, all right? And um, if you want to get into, right, a little tidbit, it seems like the cherubims will move with that throne. But the seraphim seem to stay in heaven. Right? That's like a little little nugget for you. But Ezekiel 10 verse 1 says, Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament, so he's looking up out there in space, in the sky, in the space above, that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared of them as it were a sapphire stone, remember chapter 1, as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. There it is again, chapter 1. After all the judgments that he's just laid out, now the throne is coming. Verse 2. And he spake unto the man clothed with linen and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in, he went in, in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. All right? Above the ark and cherubims, the likeness of God's throne is moving like a chariot. See it? Verse 4. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. The glory of God removed to the threshold of the house. Now he's coming down, and he's right there at the temple, right? He's right there at the temple. He's filling the house. And then if you jump to verse number 18, watch what happens now, 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them. I know there's something to those wheels. Dear brethren, what in the world is going on that mainstream media is talking about UFOs? It's mainstream media, right? They're talking about UFOs. They've been talking about UFOs for a long time, right? Those Foo Fighters, you ever read the accounts of what people saw? Now, there's something going on. I'm not going to try to explain it all to you, but there is something moving around. I mean, you read Zechariah chapter 5 and some other places. There's stuff moving. There are some unidentified flying objects talked about in your Bible. There's some of them here, right here. They seem to be connected with the second advent. So the closer we keep getting to the second advent the more you see people talking about UFOs. What does that mean, Pat? I have no idea. 
but I just, I just can take the temperature. And I remember a, a few months ago, people were talking about the reality of UFOs. And I, and I think I turned to my wife and said, what did I just hear? Did I just hear like the 8 o'clock news? It might have been Tucker. We could say his name, right? It might have been Tucker Carlson saying, you know, uh, you know, UFOs are a real thing or something like that. And I was just like, what did they just say? The wheels within wheels. Hold your place in Ezekiel. Go to Zechariah 5. No, yeah, Zechariah 5. I was in Zephaniah. I'm going to tell you, I'm not crazy. I used to be crazy, but I'm okay now. All right, Zechariah 5. Then I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll. And he said unto me, What seest thou? And I answered, I see a flying roll. What are you going to tell God? I don't know what that is. And the length is this, the length is that. And he goes, this is the curse. So whatever these things are, they're not friends. You know, they're not coming to bring us some kind of enlightened truth or help us get past our, there's something not good connected to them. So go back to Ezekiel. I'll leave it at that. That was not in my notes. I'm going off script. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Uh, verse 19. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling when the Bible starts coming to true before, you ver- before your very eyes. Like, who would have thought that people be talking about unidentified flying objects in the end times? And they are. They are. This book's been written about them. I'm not saying what I think they are. I'll tell you what, they're not. They're not friends. They're not extraterrestrials. I'll tell you, they're not that. There's something devilish. There's something masquerading. There's something that is somehow connected to the second advent. What if it's... What if the Antichrist is just going to come down like one of our great sky brothers, you know, to help us and say, oh, all those other Christians, those troublemakers, we got them out of the way so we could bring in our era of peace, you know? Like, these are thoughts. These are not so far-fetched. I'm not saying that's exactly how it is, but I'm saying that throne is moving in Ezekiel. It's connected to the second advent, and those flying whatchamacallits seem to be connected to them as well, all right? And Zechariah talks about a curse, and Joel talks about some stuff, and it's all connected to the second advent, and then I open up the news, and I see people talking about stuff flying around out there. It's all coming together, folks. Buckle up. So it says right there, the wheels were in the wheels, and every one stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. Now in verses 18 and 19, the glory stood at the door of the east gate. See, the glory's moving. God's moving. Now look at chapter 11, verse 22. 11, 22. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city. You know what mountain's on the east side of the city? Olivet. You know what's happening here? The glory of the Lord is moving from off the temple away from the city over to Olivet. You say, what is happening, Pat? Slowly... And, de- and I want to add, reluctantly, the glory of God is leaving the sanctuary in the city. 
It's getting further and further away from the temple and further and further away from God's people. Why? Because they're wicked. They're doing their abominations in the dark. He tells them, Ezekiel, you see what they're doing? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. Say, where's that TV in the Bible? I don't know, but... And Ezekiel got some people looking at stuff portrayed on a wall. That's not good. <laughs> Better watch out for what you're watching out. <laughs> I'm not saying turn everything off, but just make sure you're not watching things that you shouldn't be watching. Because they were sitting there, and they're watching stuff that they shouldn't be watching. And it's wickedness. And God's slowly withdrawing His hand. He goes from here to there, and then He leaves the city. But go to, 48, go to 43. So the first big thought is, the glory of the Lord is gone now, isn't He? He's gone. Israel doesn't have the glory of God anymore. They don't have the presence of God anymore. They don't know God anymore. You do. You have Him living inside you, but they don't. But Ezekiel 43... Right? Ezekiel 43, look at verse number 1. 43, verse 1. Afterward, now he's built the temple. He's given the dimensions of the temple. He brought me to the gate, even to the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shine with His glory. Hallelujah. There's your Savior coming. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw. He's talking about Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10. He told you that what I saw in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 wasn't just flying saucers. I saw something that was connected to the advent of Jesus Christ and His return to His throne. Is there He's coming as the appearance, according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Kibar. That's Ezekiel 1 and 10. That's he's by the river Kibar, seeing these things, and I fell upon my face. So the glory of the Lord will return one day. Hallelujah. Come right through that east gate. His name is Jesus Christ. So, go to chapter 48. Go to the last verse of, your, of, of this book. Let me leave you with some hope. You know what Ezekiel's ministry begins and ends with? Begins with a vision of God, and it closes with a vision of God among His people. That's the consummation of God's plan. Isn't that a blessing? It begins with a vision of God returning, and ends with God among His people. And the last verse of Ezekiel says, it was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city, this is a beautiful verse, and the name of that of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Man. Not New York. Not San Francisco, God help us. Right? Not Albuquerque, God help us. Right? But the Lord is there. Not even, they're not even calling it Jerusalem there even though God's name is in Jerusalem, but the Lord is there. You know what the best part about that city is going to be? The Lord is there. You know why you're going to want to be there? The Lord is there. You know why they're going to come up? Those nations and people are going to come up because the Lord is there. The city is called the Lord is there. This is the consummation of God's plan. What did He say? I will dwell with them and be with them. That's what He always wanted to fellowship with His creation. He always wants to be among His people. And one day, He'll be sitting there, literally, among His people. 
So we see in Ezekiel the severity that God was to his backward nation, his wayward nation, his backsliding nation, that he would literally withdraw the glory. And we also see the goodness of God. When his people repent and that remnant repents, at the end of the tribulation they come to those purifying fires, this great God that withdrew his hand will come and sit among his people again. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,